um, sermon title this morning. It's basically just give me five. We're making room for a miracle. Give me five. Let's jump into the Word and see where the Holy Spirit takes us. Give me five. Lord Jesus, help. Amen. Give me five. I really want to have my lunch paid for today, you know what I'm saying? So, give me five. Make room for a miracle. I uh, have been lent in over the last couple of months, but over the last couple of weeks, going back and uh, listening to the Reverend Dr. Bishop Jabin's messages, and, and uh, it's been so cool to, uh, to, to jump in on this conversation about making room for a miracle. It makes you ask the question, uh, can you make room for a miracle? Or in other words, do we have a role to play in creating the kind of environments where we see the mighty and the marvelous and the miraculous? Can we actually make room for a miracle? Do the environments we cultivate, do the spaces we make actually affect God doing what He wants to do and the people He wants to do it in? Or is that something outside of our control? Can we actually make room for a miracle? In my experience, I would suggest yes. As someone who has traveled around this blue rock that God has made over the last 20 years talking about Jesus, I've made observations. My eyes are small, but they're surprisingly strong. And I've seen it's very clear that God invites us in His sovereignty, in His perfect power and will to partner with Him to bring about the mighty and the marvelous and the miraculous. Because of that, there are some environments that you'll step in and right away you'll know that something is going to happen that week. Someone's getting saved. Someone's getting set free. Someone's going to be made whole. Someone is going to have a heart and heart softened. You just know there are some environments because of the cultivation of that culture. You just know that the miraculous will be everybody's meal that day. Transversely, there are other times where you'll step into a church walk into a service, maybe enter into a denomination, and right away you sense a resistance in the air. And you're going to sing the same songs and preach the same message, and you're still going to uh, um, ask for the same kind of response, but for some reason, it is like the lights are on, but no one's really home. And even though you know that God wants to move, and God wants to groove, and God wants to do what only He can do, people are leaving that week the same way they came in, unchanged. I've seen with my own eyes that The environment plays a massive role in whether or not we see the mighty, the marvelous, and miraculous, or the same old, same old. I contend we can actually play a part, perform a role in creating and making room for a miracle. I think Jesus teaches it. I think in one of his most famous sermons in the book of Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you go with me to the book of Mark chapter 4. Everyone say Mark. Say Mark like an Australian, Mark. Say Mark like an American, Mark. Say Mark like a Chinaman, Mark. Awesome. In Mark chapter 4, and if you don't have your Bibles, it's all good. I've got the giant Jesus iPad behind me. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus talks about how we have an opportunity. We are invited to make room for a miracle. If you've been around church for a while, you might recognize this story where Jesus talks about this sower that goes out and casts out seed. 
And depending on the environment or the room that that sea drops into, you either see a miraculous return or nothing much at all. He says the farmer goes out and he sows seed and he scatters the seed and it lands in different environments. He's scattering seed and some of this seed fell upon the path and the birds came and ate it up. Hey, some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and it produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Jesus is suggesting here, Jesus is stating here in Mark chapter 4, no, it's very clear we have a role in playing when it comes to making room for a miracle. Depending on the hearts and the environment and the kind of culture we create, we can either be a place or a space where the seed drops on it and finds a resistant ground, a hard ground where the birds of the air pick it away and nothing comes of it. We can allow ourselves to be a shallow ground that responds quickly to the gospel, but we never really let it grow into its fullness and it fizzes as quick as it flares up. We can be a distracted environment with our eyes focused on so many other things, vying for our energy and our attention. And things can happen for a while, but over an extended period of time, we become unfruitful. Or we can be the fourth kind of space, the fourth kind of soil, the fourth kind of room, if you will, that isn't hard, but it's soft. It's not resistant, no, it's receptive. Come on, it isn't distracted, it is focused in on the kingdom of God. And in that environment, when the seed drops into that kind of room, you see the mighty, you see the marvelous, you see the miraculous. And it's not just 30 times over, it's 60 times over. And when you're, whoa, 60 times, 100 times and more. See, Jesus would suggest very clearly that there is a place and a space for us, a role uniquely provided to you and I to make room for a miracle. And that miracle is going to impact your journey. That miracle is going to impact your marriage. That miracle is going to impact your teenage kids. That miracle is going to impact your workplace. That miracle, come on, it's going to impact the street in which you live. That impact, that impact is going to spread throughout the city of Las Vegas. We get a chance to make room for a miracle. What's fascinating is actually not really fascinating. It's just numbers is Mark chapter 4 is followed by Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6. And Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6 are actually examples of this principle in play. See, Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6 actually represent different kinds of rooms. One room that was made ready for a miracle and other environment where Jesus stepped into the room and nothing actually happened. See, in Mark chapter 6, you'll see Jesus rolling into a region called Nazareth. Actually, it's a town called Nazareth where Jesus was brought up. Mark chapter 6 signifies and represents a room where there was no room for a miracle. Jesus goes there. The Bible says that he and his friends were cruising around the Sea of Galilee, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, having a grand old time. But they roll into Nazareth to lay low for a couple of days. The Bible says there in Mark chapter 6 that he waited around to, till the Sabbath, the Saturday, before he went down to the synagogue, the local church, to preach. 
So he and the boys went down to the local church, and Jesus clears his celestial throat, and when the opportunity came, he began to teach. The Bible says that everyone was blown away initially by Jesus' teaching. Who is this guy? What wisdom? What insight? This is amazing. I, can, I cannot get enough of this spiritual food that he is dishing up. Everyone initially was blown away by the teaching of Jesus, but then something started happening. People began to recognize Jesus. They started to whisper to one another. That whisper became a roar as someone declared, I've seen this guy before. This guy's just Jesus. Yo, Billy, remember this guy? Jesus from Nazareth High, class of, do you remember, class of 18. Remember him? That dude. Remember that, what, the dude on the school camp and the ball went into the water? He'd be walking. That's just Jesus. He ain't anything special. He is, he's no radical rabbi. He's no international speaker. This is just Jesus. Isn't his, isn't his like, mother in the corner? Aren't his brothers and sisters amongst us right now? What did his dad do again? That's right, his dad was Joe the carpenter. This guy did a renovation on our house. He ain't anything special. He's just Jesus. And that room all of a sudden was hardened by resistance, by pride, and by arrogance. And then the strangest verse in all of Holy Writ was recorded. Now, there are some strange verses in the Bible. There are some strange references to, to male and female interaction in the book of Song of Songs. There are some strange references to donkey parts in the, in the book of Kings. But there are no verses in all of the Bible as strange as the verse that's recorded in Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Because the Bible says Jesus is there literally preaching in that room, announcing the kingdom, inviting people into healing and wholeness. He's trying to save that which is lost. But in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, the Bible actually declares that Jesus in that room could not do any miracles there. Woo! How does that happen? How does the, the Son of God, the one who had the hands that literally flung stars into space, how is He restrained? from bringing about a miracle. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did not lose an iota of power for an instant. What was the variable? Not Jesus, it was the room. It was people feeling familiar with Jesus. It was people marked by unbelief and a lack of faith. It was that spirit of quietness, that spirit of ho-hum, being there, done that, bought the t-shirt, shrunk in the wash. There was that spirit that robbed that room of their miracle. Jesus wanted to do what only he could do, but nothing got done. Not because of Jesus, but because of that room. The disciples be freaking out. Yo, Jesus, what's happening here? We're on a roll here. Everywhere we're going, we're shutting the place down. Everyone's getting saved. What's happening here? And then Jesus would quote a very well-known verse that many of us have heard before. Hey, you know what? I suspected this would happen because a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Or in other words, he's saying, if you ever get to a place in your journey where you think you've seen it all before, You've convicted yourself to a sentence where you will never see anything new again. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Hey, we have the opportunity to make room for a miracle. But we also bear the responsibility to ensure that our rooms are not robbed of a miracle. Because of the heart and the spirit, the hunger and the anticipation that we either bring or withhold.
Mark chapter 6 signifies an environment where God literally stepped into a room and people left the same way that they came, which was so different than Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 was one chapter previous, a couple of miles up the road, a couple of days before. And Mark chapter 5 actually symbolizes and signifies a room that was marked by the marvelous and the mighty and the miraculous. Mark chapter 5 begins with Jesus rolling into a region called the Gerasenes. Now, the Gerasenes was a wild place, you know what I'm saying? You've heard it before, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, what happens in Vegas basically is going to be worshiping at city lights, come on, in the years to come. But basically, it's what, back in the day, it was what happens in the Gerasenes stays in the Gerasenes. And the wildest of the wild was a dude named Legion. They called him Legion because this guy partied so hard, he partied like a guy who had 6,000 demons inside him. And the reason he partied like a guy with 6,000 demons inside of him is because he had 6,000 demons inside of him. And the Bible makes it clear that he was hell-bent on destroying himself. His friends tried to tie him hand and foot to protect him from himself, but he kept breaking out and kept on trying to hurt himself. You know anyone like that? So here he is, he's in the Gerasenes, just a, a picture of brokenness, a picture of mistakes, a picture of shame, a, a, a picture of pain, and, and Jesus rolls into town, and the Bible says, Legion sees that Jesus rolls into town, and Legion understood what Jesus was there to do, not to begin a new religion, not to just start another church, Jesus came to set people free. Because even the foulest demons of hell know who Jesus is and what he's up to. And so what they do is they run up to Jesus and they fall at his feet. And they say, yo, Jesus, we know who you are. You're the son of God. So check it out. Wherever you are, we won't be. So, so we out of this dude. Would you send us into those pigs chilling on the side of that hill? And because Jesus doesn't want your life to be tormented, Jesus didn't come all this way, die on a cross, overcome sin and death, just so you remained in jail. No, he came this far to set you free and free indeed. He speaks to the demons, says, out of this man and into those pigs. The demons jump out of legion and into these pigs. The pigs go crazy because now they're demon possessed. They run down the hill and they drown in a lake because pigs can neither fly nor swim. And, and everyone in town, hears about this and they freak out because the entire bacon industry is destroyed for like 10 years there in the garrison region the local men in town get angry because every man loves a little bit of bacon so they start chasing jesus and the boys crying out for blood and bacon bacon and blood jesus and the boys hot-footed out of town they get down to a boat they're going to sail to the other side and right there on the seashore there's an interaction legion gets to um, Jesus says, yo, my name ain't Legion anymore because all the demons are gone. So I'm down to follow you. Uh, let me join your posse. And you know what Jesus says? No, you can't come with us because your story's way too good. I need you to go back into the city of Las Vegas and tell everybody about what Jesus has done for you. The first commissioned evangelist in the church of Jesus Christ was an ex-party boy demoniac from Las Vegas. And the Bible says he went out and not only preached around Vegas, but the 10 surrounding cities. Jesus jumps into that boat with the rest of the boys. They keep on sailing to the other side of the lake. They get into a region called Capernaum. 
It's all here in the book of Mark chapter 5. And, and he basically steps off the boat. And the Bible says immediately he's surrounded by a crowd. There's a throng of humanity. He's surrounded by multitudes of people, dozens deep, all trying to catch a glimpse of this miracle worker. Maybe hear one word that would drip from his celestial lips. I want to be a part of this Jesus deal. And through the crowd, the Bible says in Mark chapter 5, pushes a man named Jairus. They made room for Jairus because Jairus was a synagogue ruler. He ruled in a synagogue. That's why they called him a synagogue ruler. And immediately, Jairus would fall on his knees before Jesus. This was a fascinating picture because this synagogue ruler was used to having people fall at his feet. Why did he fall at Jesus' feet? Why did he fall at the feet of this rebel? Why did he fall at the feet of this individual who was causing the Jewish people um, 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 such, such uh, at least from a leadership point of view, such, such confusion and, and turmoil? Why? Because Jairus, even as a religious person, understood there was something in Jesus that religion could not offer. And Jairus looks up at Jesus and says, Yo, Jesus, you don't need to do anything for me. Me and the boys have been giving you a hard time. But I've got a little girl at home and she's really sick. I prayed every prayer, offered every offering but she's not getting better. I just know that if you came to my house today and laid hands on my little girl, she'd be made well. Jesus had an opportunity to slap down a religious man, someone who had been causing him and his boys incredible harm up to that point, but Jesus didn't. Why? Because Jesus doesn't love us in response to our loveliness. Jesus loves us because that's who he is. He can't help himself. If you could cut him, he would bleed love. And he can't help but respond to any individual rebel or religious alike who would fall on their knees before him. And so Jesus just says, hey, sweet, good, let's roll out and see your kid today. So they start rolling over to the other side of town. In the meantime, in Mark chapter 5, isn't the Bible cool? You should read it more. It's all there in Mark chapter 5. In the meantime, you see this other individual come into the story. We know her as the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says she'd been suffering for more than a decade, spent all the money she had, but instead of getting better, she just grew worse. Do you know anyone who's trying to get their own way out of their own hole, but only gets deeper and deeper? Come on, into Jesus has news for you. Because this woman is here, and she's going, oh my goodness, Jesus is in town. I heard about him. I've been following his story on all my friends' Instagram stories, and I'm thinking, I've got to see Jesus myself. And I just know that if I can find Jesus and just touch him as he's walking by, I know that I'll be made well. So the Bible says that this brave woman with the issue of blood, which was an, a special infirmity in that day and age, because that caused her to be ceremonially unclean, unable to have any connection within community or society, she was so brave to come out of her house and go find where Jesus was. She eventually finds Jesus, and the Bible says Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. Again, dozens deep, a multitude pressing against him, the Bible says. But she must have surmised, I've come this far. And even if I get into trouble for touching somebody, I am not going to be held back from my miracle now. So she starts pushing through the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. She gets through the front. And with one last lunge, she reaches out and touches Jesus. And the Bible says immediately she felt healing fill her body. Just one touch from Jesus and you can be made well. Come on, just one touch from Jesus, that miracle can unfold. Just one touch from Jesus. Something you've been wrestling with for more than a decade can be turned around. Just one touch from Jesus. How many thousands of people here in the city of Las Vegas in the next couple of decades, how many people are going to touch Jesus here at City Lights Church? Woo! And so 
the, the Bible says, healing fills a body. And Jesus stops and turns around and says, whoa, somebody touched me. The disciples, what do you mean somebody touched you, Jesus? There are a lot of people around bumping up against you. And Jesus said, no, somebody touched me because I felt power depart from my body. Or in other words, every single time you sense Jesus, every time you feel Jesus, every time Jesus speaks to you, gives you an answer to a question, brings encouragement into your heart, brings a provision into your life, exercises power in a circumstance in your journey. Every time Jesus moves, it's not just a random God performing a random act of kindness on a random individual. No, it's a personal, loving, and deliberate God personally and lovingly, deliberately moving on your behalf. When you feel God, God feels it too. This brave woman puts a hand up against me. I'm sorry, I heard you were in town. I tried absolutely everything to overcome this infirmity, but I've just fallen short every single time and it feels like I'm going backwards. But I touched you, Jesus, and now I'm made well. And Jesus looks at her and says, sweetheart, no, your faith made you well. In the meantime, another character comes into the story in Mark chapter 5. Seriously, you need to read your Bible more. It's all in there. It's someone from Jairus' household. And he comes up and goes to Jairus and goes, Hey, Jairus, yo, really bad news. We don't have to bother Jesus anymore. Your little girl just died. I could imagine Jairus turning to Jesus and saying, Yo, Jesus, thanks for trying, but it's too late. But little did Jairus know, like little do some of us know, that in Jesus it's never too late. Because he's Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the beginning, he's the end. Come on, he's the writer, the director, and the producer of the movie. And the credits don't get to roll until Jesus says they roll. And they went rolling it. And so Jesus just says to Jairus, yo, we good, baby. Let's just keep on going. So they keep on going to the other side of town. They get to Jairus' house. The Bible says when they get to Jairus' house, there's a large crowd out the front. There's a commotion. There's a whole bunch of people crying. The funeral ceremony had begun. I picture the people at the front crying to be women because women are caring, connected creatures. They feel for one another. When one woman says to another woman, I'm feeling frumpy today. You know, I'm feeling frumpy as well. Hey, I want to go to the bathroom. Hey, let's all go to the bathroom. <laughs> women are like that. Men aren't like that. Where one dude goes to another dude, yo, let's go to the bathroom. Well, good luck. What do you want me to do? Like, so I picture them to be women out the front, feeling for one another. The Bible says Jesus grabs a couple of his friends the mother, the father, and they push through the sorrow. They walk through the pain, and they enter into this dim-lit room. In the corner of that dim-lit room, in, into that dim-lit dim -lit room, was a seemingly dead little girl. Problem. It was strictly against Old Testament law to have any interaction with a dead body. But then again, technically, it would have been against, would have been against Old Testament law to have an interaction with a demoniac in pig country. It was definitely against Old Testament law to have an interaction with a woman with the issue of blood. So Jesus must have surmised, yo, I've been breaking laws all day long. Why stop now? So Jesus walks over to the other side of the room, stands over this dead little girl and says in Aramaic, Talitha kawum, literally meaning little girl, get up. And the Bible says immediately, this little girl sprung back to life. Just one word from Jesus and dead things rise again. Just one word from Jesus. Come on, and dead dreams crystallize again. Come on, just one word from Jesus. A dead marriage can be restored again. Just one word from Jesus. And everything can turn around. 
how many thousands of people are going to hear their just one word in this very room and in the rooms that God is going to build here through City Lights Church in the years to come. And like a classic teenager, the first thing she says is, I'm hungry. Jesus says, quick, get this little girl something to eat. So the disciples run off. They're digging around. Yo, what's that? What, what did we get? Whatever. We've got some leftover falafel. Bring her a falafel. And Mark chapter 5 comes to a conclusion. With a bunch of disciples standing around scratching their head. All fully amazed. Thinking to themselves, my goodness, what a day it has been. We woke up this morning before lunchtime. We saw crazy legion demoniac boy healed, set free from demonic possession and oppression. And now Homie is running around fulfilling preaching dates all over Vegas and the 10 surrounding cities. And then just after lunchtime, we met woman with the issue of blood. 12 years, no hope. Now she is a testimony of love and connection. And right now, I'm seeing that girl, I swear, a couple of moments ago, a girl was dead. But here she is, chewing on a falafel. What a difference a couple of rooms make. So here's the only question I came to ask you. What's the difference? What's the difference? Because there are distinct differences between the room you see here in Mark chapter 5 and the room you see there in Mark chapter 6. Come on, and let me ask you this question. What kind of room do you want to be a part of? Come on. What would happen if we recognized that in Mark chapter 6, there was a spirit of familiarity? There was an attitude of pride. Come on. There were the constrictions of unbelief. And what would happen if we broke off that spirit of familiarity? Come on, humbled ourselves. Come on, and really stepped into every room with belief that God is just as powerful as he has always been. Come on. And someone is getting their miracle this week. What would happen? And what would happen if we would say, you know what? I want my room to look like Mark chapter 5. Where the party boy and the broken girl and even dead things can come back to life again. And what would happen if we came here week in, week out? not pompous or postured with a pride or arrogance, but falling on our knees before King Jesus. Come on, what would happen if we came with the hunger and the humility and the faith that said, you just need to say one word, I just need to receive one touch, come on, and everything could be turned around. Come on, what would happen if we with reckless abandon went after him and said, I don't care if I can get to him or if I can get my friends and my family to him, I know that their lives can be turned around. Come on, what could happen? Making a room for a miracle. We all have a role to play. A story like Mark chapter 5 or Mark chapter 6, you get to decide. But I've got a feeling in my heart, there's someone here at City Lights Las Vegas who's saying, give me five. Give me 
Five.